What's the only weekly wrap-up of the top compliance and ethics stories? It is This Week in FCPA with Tom Fox, the voice of compliance, and Jay Rosen, Mr. Monitor. Each week, Tom and Jay highlight 10 stories which caught their collective eye, talk about sports and movies, highlight top podcasts, and preview their upcoming events. Join This Week in FCPA each week for a one-stop review of the week's compliance and ethics highlights. This Week in FCPA is a production of the Compliance Podcast Network. This week's stories, again, are dominated by the coronavirus health crisis. Mike Volkoff says ethical business decisions are even more important today. Matt Kelly has a trilogy of articles on the coronavirus health crisis why testing compliance is even more important now, coronavirus could make ESG more important, Alan Overy poaches two key anti-corruption lawyers, what is time and attendance fraud in the time of coronavirus, Mike Volkoff talks about sanctions in the era of Trump and in the era of the international trade war, more wow moments in compliance, looking at incentives and compliance, two new podcasts in the Compliance Podcast Network, the Affiliated Monitors Podcast, and Compliance and Coronavirus premieres on the Compliance Podcast Network. All this and more on This Week in FCPA. This Week in FCPA is a production of the Compliance Podcast Network and a proud member of C-Suite Radio. Hello, everyone. This is Tom Fox, the voice of compliance, joined by Mr. Monitors himself, Jay Rosen, for this week in FCPA, episode 198, the week ending March 27, 2020, the Grandparents Are at Risk edition. As the GOP calls for grandparents first to sacrifice themselves for the stock market and then be sacrificed to push up the economy, self-distancing Tom and hunter-gatherer Jay Rosen are back to consider some of the week's top compliance and ethics articles. So, Jay, what say you? I say it is great to virtually get together with you to talk about the things we've seen and heard of this week. And uh, Tom is calling me a hunter-gatherer because if you saw my pictures posted on LinkedIn earlier this week, I stood six feet away from my fellow Costco shoppers, patiently waited 90 minutes, and was rewarded with a pallet of water, a single bag of toilet paper, and a single pack of paper towels. So that, in my post on LinkedIn, gave Hunter Gatherer a whole new meaning, and I was a success at 9 in the morning, so my week could only go up. Well, Jay, uh, I took advantage of my senior status and went to the over-senior hour. For my Hunter Gatherer experience, it was very pleasant. All right. Well, why don't we jump in? We have a lot of uh, great thought-provoking stories to uh, discuss this week. First up, we have a story from um, Mike Volkov's website, Corruption, Crime, and Compliance, about ethical business decisions and why they're even more important now. So, Jay, this is a theme that I think is going to be fleshed out more and more over the uh, coming weeks. The more I think about coronavirus, health crisis, and the economic dislocation that we're in, 
uh, due to the Trump administration. We're going to put more pressure on compliance. We're going to put more pressure on ethical decision-making. We're going to put more pressure on corporate culture to step up in literally these times of crisis. Uh, You can start really anywhere you want, whether it's working at home, whether it's economic dislocation due to the Trump administration, whether it is uh, the health care crisis, the health crisis, rather. Companies are going to be uh, stretched. They're going to be pushed. There's going to be uh, decisions that are made uh, that may uh, people be may may be asked to cut corners and having a robust uh, ethical decision-making uh, tradition and culture in your company is be- going to become more important. Uh, it can be down to simply uh, working at home. Uh, are you putting in a full day? Are you uh, backing up and utilizing uh, the mandatory uh, or necessary backups to have an appropriate documented record all the way up to Are you doing business with people you typically would not have in the past? Are you doing due diligence with and for them? Are you cutting corners in other ways? So having that sort of ethical decision-making, having that ethical culture, having that foundation of accountability is going to be uh, an even greater clarion call uh, during these next several weeks and probably months. And as I said, I think it's something that more and more people are going to talk about. Certainly, I'm going to be one of them, Jay. So, uh, yeah, indeed. Uh, Next up, we have a trio of articles from the coolest guy in compliance, Matt Kelly, over at Radical Compliance. Uh, First, Matt was thinking about COVID-19 and whether or not we're missing one big thing. And Matt's question is, when will we begin blood testing people to determine whether they've already had COVID and now if they're presumably immune? And therefore, wouldn't we also want to know who could go back with ho- and help with hospital staffing or delivering goods to shut-ins, doing garbage collection for the city you live in, or even just to get back to work in the outer world? We have no idea how many immunes are in lockdown right now and needlessly out of the economic sphere. So the sooner we can get people back into productive purposes, somehow the better. Uh, Matt's point is, is if we ultimately defeat COVID, COVID by developing herd immunity, then we need to start identifying those people in the herd. And we are doing that, but not identifying the herd. We may be locking down people who could actually provide solutions in the time of need. Next thing Matt took a look at was a tale of time for COVID. And he spoke to an investment manager and just looked upon how the risk is different now And if you're talking about making loans to your clients and leveraging them up, uh, normal leverage is roughly about five times their assets. But this investment manager had to take each person and look at them as an individual um, opportunity because the standard risk profiles did not apply anymore. So the bigger lessons to take away from uh, compliance and risk officers is, number one, first, when the world changes, you need to question fundamental assumptions about the risk your firm may have used for years, like, say, a wealthy restaurateur is a safe bet. And second, when those assumptions change, you need to be ready to go beyond policy and procedure to find the truth. Finally, and his last um, 
post that we link to in our show notes. He talks about eight objectives to manage pandemic risks, and this comes to him from the GRC software company Galvanize, formerly known as ACL. And the Galvanize team had spent last week developing these eight objectives for operations during a pandemic. In order, those objections are looking at the health of your workforce, looking at the effectiveness, questioning your customer continuity, taking a look at your financial continuity, taking a look at your vendor and partner continuity, communications, security, and reputation monitoring. As all as to the original eight objectives above, remember that a lot of what you might want to do there is monitoring continuity of operations and relationships with employees, with suppliers, with business partners, and with cash flows. Think about how to do that, what metrics you will find useful, and what you can monitor as closely as possible. So as always, Matt is thinking very deeply about these things, uh, envisioning a time when we need to move forward. But right now, we do need to observe our uh, social isolation. Tom, uh, we have an article about testing compliance and a new approach. Can you tell us about that? Sure. This is an article by Brandon Garrett, who, of course, needs no introduction, uh, author of Too Big to Fail and Gregory Mitchell. The um, They really come at an issue that is... I think well-known, Jay, in the compliance community, but frankly not talked enough about, which is the testing of compliance. A large number of companies are afraid to test their compliance program because they might find something. And I'm sure you hear that as often as I do. Well, gosh, if we audit and we find something, what happens then? Then we've got a record that a regulator could come after us with, a um, shareholder could come after us with, uh, a series of of, – very unfortunate events could occur. And they say that this is really a, a wrong-headed approach, but they uh, recognize that it does exist. So uh, the article really lays out what the problem is and some of the solutions they've come up with. It's a very thought-provoking article uh, because it's something that uh, really gets Jay to the heart of check-the-box box compliance and that uh, they believe uh, many companies, while saying they actually operationalize and do compliance, fall short of that, and they fall short of it because they don't test for effectiveness, so they don't know whether their compliance program is effective. So, um, as I said, Brandon Garrett obviously needs no uh, introduction to this audience, so uh, it's going to be interesting to see kind of how his ideas, he and Gregory Mitchell's ideas, really uh, percolate in the compliance community going forward. Uh, Jay, uh, it turns out that coronavirus could make ESG even more important. What was uh, What's that about? Sure. So we've got uh, an article coming to us from Christine Broughton, and I hope I say this right, Maytan Sangon, writing for the Wall Street Journal Risk and Compliance Journal. And they say that recent volatility in the financial markets due to the coronavirus pandemic could provide investors with more of an incentive to grill companies on non-financial risks. ESG, or environmental, social, and governance investing, has been growing in popularity before the virus began to circulate as investors flock to companies that have taken steps to manage non-financial risks related to matters such as climate change, board diversity, or human rights. 
But the pandemic has demonstrated on a large scale the importance of other factors that are paramount to ESG investors, among them disaster preparedness, continuity planning, employee treatment through benefits such as paid sick leaves, and direct uh, allowing employees to work from home. Uh, a group of 300 mutual funds that integrated ESG factors into their investment decisions attracted $21.4 billion in new money in 2019, compared with almost three quarters less of $5.4 billion a year earlier. Companies should expect more investors to ask questions about resilience and continuity planning. Uh, on Tuesday, Barclays said it would begin providing ESG assessments for each of the companies that it covers. And Citigroup, meanwhile, said then a note to clients that investors are asking more questions about issues such as employee benefits, mortgage relief, with goal with the goal of identifying corporate strategies to limit economic damage from this pandemic. So while it's great to see stories about businesses repurposing themselves and producing uh, masks, producing masks and sanitizer and going above and beyond duty. Uh, There is a a large focus here of investing in companies that have a high ESG profile. So Jay and I would only add that's another reason compliance is going to become even more important that investors are going to start looking specifically at compliance programs, and perhaps that will help drive some of the testing and effectiveness that Brandon Garrett and Gregory Mitchell want. Um, Jay, I wanted to take things a little bit in a different direction, but it speaks to the overall uh, importance of compliance and uh, anti-corruption um, uh, white-collar defense because Alan Overy poached uh, two well-known compliance practitioners from ORIC, and that is um, Billy Jacobson uh, and um, sorry, I forgot the uh, the other gentleman, Jonathan Lopez. Lopez. Um, Billy is well known in the compliance community. He's former DOJ, former CCO at Weatherford, alongside Guy Singer. He was the monitor for Brascom um, under the uh, deep firm's DPA. Uh, and so this is a huge hire for Allen and Overy, and they are really beefing up uh, their D.C. part of their practice. And that's where um, Jonathan and, and Billy will be uh, headquartered, uh, although Allen and Overy is headquartered or primary office, I should probably say, is in New York. So uh, big hire uh, for Jacobson uh, or rather for Allen and Overy, really beefing up their anti-corruption and uh, FCPA practice. Uh, congratulations to, to both Billy and Jonathan for moving over. I'm, I'm sure they did very well out of it. But pretty big news in the white-collar defense world, Jay. Yeah, it definitely showed up on my radar. Um, next up, we have a story from the Grand Jury Target. It's Sarah Krop's excellent website. And she takes a look at what is time and attendance fraud and the time of the coronavirus. Uh, time and attendance fraud is the low-hanging fruit for offices of inspector generals in Norman Times. But now, with teleworking at an all-time high, we're going to see a sharp uptake of audits and follow-on investigation. 
In its simplest terms, time and attendance fraud is when federal employees falsify work records. It occurs when an employee certifies that he or she had worked eight hours a day when they had only worked five or when they received overtime pay that wasn't authorized. Where this might be prevalent right now is in the D.C. area where most federal employees are working from home. They're trying to homeschool kids, work, care for elderly parents who won't follow self-isolation guidance, plus navigate and worry about a looming recession. There's a good chance that no one is productive as they usually are right now. Many of these federal employees don't use don't usually telework. This creates a perfect storm for time and attendance problems. In the article, she goes on to talk about some of the red flags and how investigations work. But uh, this is a situation where the government has a lot of tools where they can track us. We can leave footprints. They can look at where you are sending emails from, when you are making phone calls, whether or not you did the work that you claimed to do. And she kind of puts a, a cap on the article by talking about how one would defend against time and attendance fraud claims. Your lawyer can help you put together defense to this type of investigation. It may include an investigation of what permissions you've had from your supervisor. One can imagine these difficult weeks that employees will obtain all sorts of special permissions from their bosses to handle work on a different schedule. So this is just another one of the byproducts of our society shifting and people working from home. And this is something we'll pay attention to in the weeks going forward. So, Jay, Mike Volkoff, uh, as you know, um, does a lot of work in economic sanctions and in export control sanctions. And he penned an article for Navex Global about sanctions compliance in the financial war. One of the hallmarks of the Trump administration has been the use of sanctions as an offensive political weapon against its enemies outside of the United States. And what that has done is put companies uh, really on notice that they have to literally know, if not day by day, perhaps even hour by hour, what the current state of sanctions is for U.S. companies, or excuse me, for, from the U.S. government against companies and individuals. We had a major announcement even today about uh, an indictment against Maduro in uh, Venezuela, uh, designating him as a, uh, a narco terrorist. Um, and uh, this was coupled with, of course, the OFAC um, framework for compliance commitments, which was released uh, a little uh, a little under 12 months ago, about 11 months ago. So he lays out really the things you need to do to comply with uh, the OFAC guidance, Jay, and it's, it's now fairly standard known. Number one, uh, get senior management commitment to tailor program to risk profile, three, evaluate internal controls, and then uh, calibrate and monitor, four, test and audit. Uh, there's Brandon Garrett again, test your compliance program, and then train appropriate personnel. Um, you and I have both uh, extensively visited this uh, compliance regime, and we both found things in it. Uh, certainly uh, helpful and applicable to the anti-corruption compliance practitioner. So great article by Mike. Uh, I urge you to take a look at it because uh, it really doesn't matter what type of compliance you're in, AML, ABC, export control, sanctions, uh, financial crimes. Uh, some of these concepts are going to apply to you, and, and they would be a great addition to your compliance program. Great. So uh, next up, we have a series that I've really enjoyed the last four weeks, uh, this comes to us from the Risk and Compliance Platform 
Europe, and our colleague Gert Vermolen. Hope I'm saying that right. And this is Wow Moments in Compliance, Part 5. Often ethics and compliance officers only end up in the news when things have gone wrong. Many people don't realize that ethics and compliance officers also prevent numerous crimes and unethical practices. In this final part of the series, Wow Moments in Compliance, Gert will talk about the World Economic Forum in Davos. The first two parts of the series, he covered due diligence in the AV industry, aviation industry and due diligence in the energy industry. Part three was about a change of strategy. And the fourth part was about those wonderful Greeks. Two years ago, Gert suddenly got an invitation to attend sessions at the World Economic Forum in Davos. He goes on to explain some uh, trying times with travel, putting chains on his tires, and finally getting a place to stay. The next morning, he got up around 5 a.m. to walk to the gathering. Before the session, there was a breakfast meeting where he happened to be sitting next to the CFO of Pepsi. In the ethics and compliance community, there's uh, already suspected for a long time that there was a case that companies that were more ethical would perform better. They went on to speak about this, and looking back at the sessions, his impression was that when they discussed this Boston Consulting Group report published in 2017, it had been a breakthrough. Then a little bit while later, in January of 2018, Larry Fink from BlackRock quoted almost literally from the report in his annual letter to CEOs when he wrote, to prosper over time, every company must not only deliver financial report performance, but also show how it makes a positive contribution to society. Going forward past that, in August of 2019, we've talked about before that the U.S. Business Roundtable announced in a statement signed by 181 CEOs that they will commit to lead their companies for the benefit of all stakeholders, customers, employees, suppliers, the community, and not only shareholders. Looking back, Gert thinks that that BCG report has been one of the vital steps towards the emphasis on ESG, which we just talked about, environmental, social, governance, investing. Uh, Investors at the moment are looking at these factors, and Gert is honored that he was present at the World Economic Forum in Davos. As a former member of a Partnership Against Corruption initiative, He had been at the WEF in Geneva before, but how many ethics and compliance officers get to the summit of Davos? This is a a great series that uh, Gert wrote, and hopefully he will share more of his experiences in the ethics and compliance world. We had a very interesting article by uh, partners in the law firm of Walker and Kaplan, and Jeff Walker and Rebecca Kaplan, amazingly enough. Wrote an article found in CCI about assessing incentives and compliance and ethics programs. And it's something that um, we really need to focus on because what are your incentives, both known and unknown, tangible and intangible? What is driving the behavior in your company? Obviously, compensation is, uh, is seen as a direct incentive, but there can be lots of other indirect compensation. So uh, really good article, uh, what what Jeff and Rebecca suggest is not only review your um, incentives, but on an ongoing basis. And that certainly ties into what the Department of Justice talked about in the 2019 evaluation guidance document and that evaluation um, uh, uh, testing 
needs to occur on a regular and ongoing basis. And the information you garner from that needs to be looped back into your compliance program. So uh, a great article, as always, by Jeff and, and Rebecca, and something that we can all use going forward. So uh, next up, Tom, I wanted to announce uh, with your help of the Compliance Podcast Network that we have finally put together the Affiliated Monitors Expert Podcast channel on iTunes. It's live now, and there will be uh, linking information within the um, show notes. And this goes in um, part and parcel with an eight-part series that we started this week at Affiliated Monitors. If you've listened to us before, you've known that Tom has, Tom has put together some very thoughtful and exhaustive interviews with many of the thought leaders at Affiliated Monitors. And over the next eight weeks, we're going to re-release one of these five-part podcasts and understanding and well that people's business habits have changed. We're working from home now. Sometimes we need a break. Sometimes we need to change thoughts and look at something new. So this is our gift, uh, hopefully a distraction, but hopefully an opportunity to learn more about ethics and compliance. And we look forward to becoming a, a staple uh, supplier to the Compliance Podcast Network. Now, uh, talking about something new, Tom Fox just couldn't sit around uh, idle anymore. He had to come up with a new podcast. So, Tom, why don't you tell us about the new premiere episodes of Compliance and Coronavirus? Sure, Jay. So I decided one of the things I needed to do, of course, was start yet another podcast. So I did just that. I started Compliance and Coronavirus, Clarity, Sanity and Clarity for the Compliance Practitioner. And in this podcast series, I'm going to take a look at the impact of the coronavirus health crisis, uh, probably the economic downturn and, and then the healthcare crisis that will follow from all of this. Um, I'd originally thought this would be a sort of a six weeks uh, limited live series, but frankly, uh, you know, it may be two months, three months, something longer than that. I'm going to post three times a week, Tuesday, Wednesday, and Thursday at 9 a.m. Central. Um, this week, I inaugurated the podcast series, and I had Sean Friedland talking about successfully working from home. Uh, K2 Intelligence's Joanne Taylor talked about uh, the need for continuing compliance in the financial crimes compliance arena, largely in London, but also worldwide. And then today we had uh, the coolest guy in compliance talk about some of the risk factors he sees from this downslope, really the downslope risk factors around coronavirus. So I'm going to have some uh, really interesting uh, podcasts next week. Uh, I think I've got Jared Connors uh, on tap to talk about Responsible Mineral Initiative uh, compliance in the supply chain in the age of coronavirus. Uh, your colleague, Vin Diciani, is going to talk about how monitor ships uh, are uh, a really important part of the federal government stimulus package, which was passed this week, and how companies can use monitors on a proactive basis uh, to make themselves, uh, as we talked about with ESG investors, more attractive to investors and a better business partner. And uh, Jonathan Armstrong John's, joins me from London to talk about uh, the steps he suggests a company take around data privacy, uh, GDPR, and in, in the age of uh, coronavirus. I'm going to have a lot of different topics uh, beyond that, regulatory compliance, financial health compliance, uh, lots of different ways to think about what the coronavirus health 
crisis will mean for the compliance practitioner. I'm very excited about this series. It's uh, obviously topical. And with all the noise and white noise that's going on, I'm going to try and bring some clarity and sanity to it for the compliance professional. Well, it sounds like it's going to be a great addition to the uh, CPN. And one more thing that we like to do before we close off for the week is to talk about your 31 days to a more effective compliance program. What were the topics that you highlighted this week, Tom? So, Jay, we're still in the month of March, so we're still taking a look at innovation and compliance this month. We we looked at, uh, on Monday, innovation in breaking, using innovation to break through silos in a corporation. Tuesday, I considered how you create a compliance ecosystem and why that's important. Uh, today, or rather on Wednesday, we talked about moving data science the last mile. Obviously, that's the execution component. Uh, Thursday, I was really interested to have a post on how a structural change can be innovative. So I talked about the uh, regional compliance committee as a structural change to innovating your compliance program. And then uh, Friday, I ended with some thoughts on uh, innovation and investigative due diligence. And I was really pleased there to rely upon our good friend Candace Tao, CEO and founder of InforTal, who gave me some of her thoughts on how artificial intelligence uh, can be used to supplement due diligence, uh, coupled with uh, the human uh, factor to really lead in innovation. So uh, innovation and compliance <clears throat> is the March series. We'll have a couple of days up next month, um, next week rather. It has its own iTunes channel now. So if you want to check it out on iTunes, and of course it's sponsored by Affiliated Monitor. So uh, thanks again for that support, Jay. You're welcome. So uh can't believe we're, we're through another week. Uh, any other, uh, res- what, how are you doing without sports? Are you hanging in there? Hanging in there, uh, watching a lot of uh, recorded television, lots of masterpiece theater, some mysteries that I haven't really focused on, lots of uh, nature and uh, other PBS uh, quality programs. We are still uh, cycling through the uh, regular broadcast season, but it's uh, it'll be uh, very interesting to see what the the networks do when their uh, series run out and what they've got for backup plans. Uh, I haven't really paid a lot of attention to what the planning is, but I know that one of the shows we watch is This Is Us, and we were a couple weeks behind, and we just uh, had the uh, final notice there, and before you and I went live on the air, we were talking about Picard that uh, you seem to be enjoying on the uh, CBS. Um, what What is that network called? CBS. See, C- just CBS. No, but it's a uh, it's a it's a special it's a special feed like Netflix. Correct. You have to pay for CBS. it. It's not- yeah, CBS streaming. Okay. All right. Well, I, I certainly bungled that promotion from CBS. I'm sure they won't be uh, knocking on the door here at this weekend FCPA. Uh, yeah, they're not going to pay me their sponsorship money based on that, Jay. Okay. So uh, on behalf of Tom Fox, the voice of compliance, and myself, Jay Rosen, Mr. Monitor, we'd like to thank you for joining us for this week in FC- FCPA, episode 198, for the week ending March 27th, 2020, the Grandparents Are at Risk edition. Uh, we appreciate you taking some time to listen to us. Uh, we hope that you and yours are safe and will be well, and we look forward to speak to you in the coming weeks.
Hello, everyone. This is Tom Fox again. I'd like to thank you for listening to this episode of This Week in FCPA. If you have any questions, you can email me at tfox at tfoxlaw.com. You can email Jay at jrosen at affiliatedmonitors.com. I hope you will check out my latest podcast offering for the Compliance Podcast Network, which, of course, is Compliance and Coronavirus, Sanity and Clarity for the Compliance Practitioner. I'm going to put out a lot of information around that for you going forward. This Week in FCPA is a production of the Compliance Podcast Network and a proud member of C-Suite Radio. Thanks again for listening, and I hope you will join Jay and I next week where we take up some of the week's top ethics and compliance stories into the first week of April. Stay safe, stay sanitary, and compliance on during this time. Thanks again. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.